I have a fun little thing. We haven't done our intro yet. In my deep dive about this, this, this might be a, a beginning or an end. In my, do you know, Colton, do you know why Aang beca- became the youngest airbending master? Why did Aang become the youngest airbending master? It's for his invention of the air Oh, scooter. yeah, I knew that. I didn't realize that's what you meant. Oh, I... That is that is that is the uh, the like the thing that he did. Like he invented that. He, well, he invented that, and that's what earned him his tattoos. How cool is that? I didn't know that. When did you know that? Uh, I learned that during my initial watch. I don't remember where I was in my initial oh. watch. Oh, oh, I never knew that. And now it makes a bit more sense when I'm thinking of that episode where he's showing everybody the scooter, and then he comes back, and he's all different and everything and everybody's using the scooter well everyone that can use the scooter is using the scooter because not everyone can because it's really freaking hard because it's a brand new form of bending and it's super (laughs) advanced (laughs) yeah but i I never realized that and i thought that was just really cool so i discovered that this week so you learn something new every day (laughs) sorry i would have told you sooner i assumed you knew no, you should have mentioned that during our episode where we talked about that, where we talked about the air scooter. I, I genuinely thought that, like, I was late to the party on learning that, and that was just like, oh, yeah, everyone knows that. No, no. I mean, it's not it's not fully set out right in, in the show, mm. so. All right, well, I'll be more uh, outspoken. Yep, that's what we need. Weird thing to say after last episode, me being more <laughs> outspoken, but okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. A more outspoken Colton. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> this is not going to be the massive beast that Blue Spirit no. was. But it is like a fun, cute little episode. I love this episode. Like, I love this episode so much. This episode brings me such joy. We, we do the intro first before we talk about how much we love the episode. I know, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. You just said like, oh, it's a fun little episode. And I was like, I just need to we, say we I We have like a it. format for like the show. So if we're going to talk about how much we love the episode and the things we love, we have to do the intro first. That's true. That is very true. I need to remember, I didn't highlight who was doing the intro this week. Oh, it's you. It's me? you all right well let's do the intro water earth fire air long ago the four nations lived together in harmony then everything changed when the fire nation attacked only the avatar master of all four elements could stop them but when the world needed him most he vanished A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to The Pie Show with your hosts, I'm Colton. And I'm Kelly. And this week we are talking about Book 1, Chapter 14, the fortune teller. In this episode, it works this week, Aang, Sokka, <laughs> and Katara come across a village that's dependent on its resident fortune teller, who has reliably predicted its future for generations. Do you believe that your fortune can be told? Ooh, my fortune? I don't know. I haven't thought about 
about it. I really haven't. I probably should have thought about it for this episode. It'd be nice. I think everything happens for a reason. I don't think I'm very predictable, though. I beg to differ. (laughs) (laughs) I think that for those of us that you let in, (laughs) we can predict and read it pretty well. But no, I, in all honestness, I believe that, like, everyone is master of their own fate and, like, the choices we make matter and we have ownership over them and accountability for them. And yeah, yeah like, free will. You can and make all that your jazz. own fortune. Yeah. There might be, there might be paths laid ahead for you, but it's your decision to choose the one that you want to go on. Exactly. Yeah. I took a palm reading course in elementary school too i was really weird kid i i did a lot of palm reading hand uh handwriting analysis there's one more thing that i learned how to do but i did palm reading in fifth grade for quite some time well (laughs) i mean this is this is great for a podcast because the listeners can totally see but here are the hand notes i took for the show what can you (laughs) tell me about my future Mm, mm, mm. Well, you're headed in a direction strongly and slightly to the left. Kelly, you missed the (laughs) obvious read of my future. Oh no, what was it? We're going to talk about Avatar The Last Airbender. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) I like this episode. I really like this episode. I enjoy this episode so much. It's so much fun. It's just joy it's such a breath of fresh air and like just a light-hearted romp with our with our main three especially after everything so heavy the last episode like life and death situation you know it, it's just so it was so heavy and actiony that you have this light-hearted episode honestly i feel like things have been heavy since the spirit world we have not had a break. Yeah, this is a funny episode, too. I love the comedy in this episode and that it doesn't, this show is, has taken itself very seriously. And then this is the episode where it, where it doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Like we've had, we've had moments like this episode before, so it doesn't really feel foreign. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel out of place in this world or, you know, in the context of the show. And I, but I definitely think that, like, especially, you know, getting back into the show after a mid-season break, this is really, you know, it's it's like it's comfort food. Yes. Yes. This is one of the episodes that's usually on my rewatch list. My Kelly's indefinitive <laughs> rewatch list. But I'm also I'm also a Katang person, so that could probably be part of it. This whole episode feels <laughs> like Sarah and Aang. <laughs> This is a ship, shipping, ship, shipping, shipping, ships. (laughs) The recap says it all. The recap is just all that good katang. Like, let's pick, cherry pick every little moment. They've looked at each other or hugged or looked at each other and mash it together. Or said nice things to each other. Yeah. And just mash it together and just see if you guys get it. Do you get it now? Do you get it? And just in case you don't get it, we're going to polish the whole thing off with Grand Grand saying that their destinies are intertwined. 
<laughs> I like how they like kind of zoom out of that so that way like Sokka's just kind of in the background because she was talking to Katara and Sokka, but that whole the way they frame it in the recap it's like no it's just you katara <laughs> who are you grandson okay unnamed grandson stand over there while i talk to your sister <laughs> yeah it's it's oh i wonder what we're supposed to take away from this recap <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> no. i really love in the beginning of this like right away ang makes the replacement necklace and mm. we already know that the necklace is so important to Katara. Like we've talked about it's used as a symbol for her in the show. Yeah. And it's she, so pretty. It's so pretty. It connects her to her family and her mother and her tribe. And she doesn't have it anymore. And you know, Aang is just like I, I I know you don't have it, but I made you a new one. That way you know you have something. And it's so sweet and it's so smooth. Yeah, it's so it's so thoughtful. And the other thing that, you know, as a rewatch, we know is that for the water tribe, those necklaces are usually a betrothal thing. The uh, guy will make a necklace for the girl to, you know, be betrothed to his betrothed. So early on, Ankrete in the necklace with Kind of, I believe, no concept that that's what that is. I don't um, think Katara fully, like, is thinking about it in that context. Katara knows what it is. Okay, but she isn't putting two and two together in that moment. No. No, she's not. Not at all. She's just happy to have, I mean, I know I'm someone who, if I have a piece of jewelry that that I wear all the time, my engagement ring, like, I have something to fiddle with. And it feels weird if I'm not wearing it. So for to have that necklace and to have something that she can go up and touch and feel grounded. Yeah, like when I don't have my watch on, I feel like a dog without his collar. (laughs) Like, oh, this is weird. I'm naked. Something's wrong. My hand is naked. Uh, Yeah, that's (laughs) like I walk different. And then Aang, you know, turns around and sees Katara with the necklace on and like the camera does. It does the thing. It, It does the love filter that we've had so many times before. There were some interesting camera angles this episode that we get that love filter more than once. And it's so camp and uh, kitschy. And I, I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I love it's It's not a love triangle. Like we don't get a full triangle. There's no point of closure. But like it's mm-hmm. this line of disinterest. <laughs> yes. I like that line of disinterest. It's not a love triangle, it's a disinterest line. Yep. Or no, no, because it's not like a line is like two, it's like a ladder. <laughs> it's like a ladder of disinterest, and there are three people on the ladder. The ladder of disinterest. The ladder of apathy. <laughs> Where uh the new character Meng, she has that same love filter. And I think it's so funny to put that of you know, Aang seeing Katara and she's she's posing and she's like, how do I look? And for when Meng looks at Aang and he's slouching and just like not paying attention and like picking at something on his head, like he's like, what? <laughs> hey, when that moment hits you, it doesn't matter what the other person is doing. <laughs> exactly. I get it. I've been there. <laughs> 
I just, I, I love that, like, juxtaposition, though. Yeah, infatuation is a powerful thing. Mmm, mmm, true. I love Sokka's reaction to infatuation, though, which is just smoochy, smoochy, and gets <laughs> slapped in the face by a fish. <laughs> He's like, eh, the Avatar has a, has a crush on my sister. Eh, whatever, I've got bigger fish to fry. Literally. Literal fish. Oh, I love that. Oh, <laughs> never noticed. That's brilliant. <laughs> I want to do the cute animal alert. You would just want to do the cute animal alert first. Cute animal alert. We have some new animals this episode. It's not just a Momo and Appa thing. Finally new animals. And like a lot of them. <laughs> So there is, uh, I think the fish is just a fish. It's a, I, I am calling it the green sassy fish. I mean, so you wrote your notes from watching the episode before I got a chance to watch. And I, I snuck a peek at your notes before I sat down to watch. And you wrote, you know, oh, cute, you know, green sassy fish. I'm like, green sassy fish, what is she talking about? What is she? I, I don't understand. And... I play the episode in two minutes and it's like, oh, yeah, they're that green sassy fish. Like, I get it. That's, yep. It's a very sassy fish. It is so sassy. I love it so much. I think it adds some extra attitude and I love it as an adversary for Sokka. <laughs> Just the animal world does not like him. And I think that's going to be like a repeating thing. Goes throughout this whole episode. It does. So that brings up Another animal we have that's new, the platypus bear. Oh, you should uh, make some noise. It'll get scared. Oh, no, you should you should play dead. That's what you're supposed to do. No, you should run downhill and climb up a tree and then run in zigzags. Mm. Or you could just trust the fortune teller that you're going to have a safe journey. <laughs> I love how all of the animal survival tips they gave are like actual quoted animal survival tips for different animals. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, they do base some of these things. Uh, uh, some of those are bear facts and everything like that. I don't, I don't know what to do when a platypus charges. Um, I don't think platypuses charge. Is it platypi? Both. Either either is good. Um, platypuses, okay. platypi, or platypods. Amazing. Yeah. Um, kind of like octopi or octopuses or octopods. Um. You have to be careful with platypuses, though, because they are uh, venomous. Yes. Yes, they are. They have those barbs. That makes a platypus bear that much more dangerous. Yeah. I liked also seeing the size of a platypus bear next to Appa. And that Appa could scare off a platypus bear. Yeah. To be able to see that size reference was really cool. I like when the platypus bear laid an egg. <laughs> It's just such a just great like, comedy moment. It's a beautiful comedy moment. And another area where Sokka and the animal world just don't mix because the egg, he ends up tossing, like, cracking the egg, too. Like, he just... No, but that's a visual gag because he's saying, you know, how wrong the fortune teller is. Now, you can't believe in, you know, fortune teller. And then he's wrong with his prediction. And then he gets literal egg on his face. I never noticed that. Oh, my God. That's awesome. It's going to keep raining all afternoon, and then it stops raining, and he has egg on his face. 
<laughs> Literally. That's amazing. Oh, I love that. And then when we get to town, we meet our third new animal, the turkey duck. Do you think these were the geese that we saw in the storm? Because they look kind of like geese. I don't know. They So I thought it was a goose, too. And I went, like, diving into the wiki to try and find what these were. Because I was... I was like, it's got to be a goose. It's got to be a goose. But it's not. It's a turkey duck. And the turkey duck has two talons, two wings, a yellow bill, and a stubby fan-shaped tail. And the weirdest collection of sounds. Yes. Like, it makes all different noises, and I love all of them. I feel like the sound editors had a lot of fun with this one. Yes. (laughs) Like, it makes that one, like, it's kind of a quack. Like, the the caption said quack, but it sounded more like a squelch. It says uh, the turkey duck has a loud, distinctive warble. This is... If I can find turkey duck sounds, I'm going to put them in here. (laughs) I'm going to spend too much time tomorrow looking for turkey duck sounds. I can see it now. (laughs) I'm going to say that of the three animals introduced... I actually really love the turkey duck. That's got to be my favorite. I really love the platypus bear, but I think I agree with you. The turkey duck just edges it out. It It's such an interesting idea. Just to, like two, di- two very different birds, but that have distinctive features that go enough together that um, that you and I both thought are these normal geese. Like we weren't sure. And to... Have them be so incorporated in the town and in the world, and we see them in so many different areas and their uh, behaviors and attack and attacking when they think they're being attacked and everything. I really enjoyed the turkey ducks. So I really like how they're incorporated into the town, but they don't seem to be domesticated. Yeah, they're hunter scavengers. They felt very much like turkeys too. Like I got the turkey aspect. I have a. I have a thing about large birds i actually do not like large birds in real life um they are evil dinosaurs left to haunt the earth but i enjoy these turkey ducks i like ducks ducks are are good ducks are cute they waddle i i really got the uh turkey uh the turkey personality from these turkey ducks i really got like the duck presence in society like, they're mm. there, you don't really touch them, you hope mm-hmm. they don't get mad at you. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're just, you know, they're just doing their thing, walking yeah. down the street. Yeah. I want to talk about this platypus bear attack a little more, because there's something really interesting going on that you have brought my attention to, which is the music. and. When they cut to the traveler being attacked by the platypus bear, on his end, you hear this light whistling jaunty tune, and then it cuts to Team Avatar yelling out like, here's what you should do, here's what you should do, oh my god, you're being attacked. And it's the Avatar battle music. It's the it's the big battle at the end type of music, and this like heavy action music, and then it cuts back to him just slightly dodging, and it's a light little whistle, cut back to that big action, cut back to them, whistle. And it was really cool to hear the tone shift, not just see it. 
And I think it would have been completely different if you kept one version of it. Either one all the way through would have been bad. Cutting between them, perfect. Well, yeah, it builds that that dissonance between, you know, our two groups and, and their relative emotional states. Mm. You know, there's only, there's only so many ways that we can demonstrate the emotion of the scene visually on screen or through dialogue. And, and I think the music does a lot of the heavy lifting, especially throughout, you know, this particular show with establishing that emotional context. So yeah, it makes, it makes perfect sense that, you know, they would, for the character who is, just having fun because he's not in any danger because he believes he can't be in any danger. Like, yeah, sure. Lighthearted fun. And then, oh my God, you're being attacked. Like, we, it's go time. I think what's really interesting about this too is the juxtaposition of, see, of Aang and Katara and Sokka seeing someone so certain of his journey and they're embarking on a journey where they don't know what the ending outcome will be. They're hoping and praying it's going to be what they want it to be, but they're just embarking on this big journey outward where the path is so uncertain. And they're looking at this guy who is so certain that his path will be the one of safety and harmony and peace. And, and it's all going to turn out fine. And I think there's a little bit of envy in that. They're like, why are you not panicking? This is what we've been doing this whole time. Does he know? Does he know something or have something that w- that we should have? You are blowing my mind with that realization. <laughs> I completely missed that. Oh my god, I never considered that. I feel like they're a little jealous. They're like, "Wait, how can you be so sure that you were going to be okay?" And he goes, "Oh, Aunt Wu said I was going to be fine. She said it's going to be a peaceful journey. Here's for the travelers that I meet on my way." And Aunt Wu took care of them when it started to rain. And you see this kind of little click or spark go off in both Katara and Aang of, especially Katara, maybe everything will be okay. Everything going forward can be predicted and can be laid out. And when she gets to Aunt Wu, she asks her a million questions all the way up to what what is going to happen when I die? Like all the way out to like third great grandchild. She asks her every way on the end of the path. And Aang, who he knows most of his destiny, he knows what he's supposed to do, but there's one aspect of his life that is so uncertain, and it's what are my interpersonal relationships going to be? And the the light bulb goes off for both of them under that umbrella, thinking, I could know. I could know, and I could have the certainty that he has. And how comforting is that? Not just a fun little episode for them. It's, it's a bunch of scared kids who just want an adult to tell them it's going to be okay. Exactly. It's all going to work out. Exactly. Oh, man. <laughs> I almost want to go rewatch this episode now. Cause, like, <laughs> I feel like we say that every time. <laughs> no, but I'm I'm sitting here thinking, oh, wow, the whole, like... <laughs> Throwing out the expert belief in scientific knowledge is what keeps this episode relevant to today. But like, no, yeah. we what keeps this episode relevant to today is we are all Team Avatar and we just want Aunt Wu to tell us it's going to be OK. Yep. Wow. 
And they want that certainty and that comfort and the comfort that everybody else has in that town. Everybody else has comfort and confidence in what they are doing. And these kids are out here trying to save the world. And they want that. They want that comfort and confidence that what they're doing is going to work. I mean, yeah. Who doesn't want that confidence? I mean, like, I want that confidence. (laughs) Sokka doesn't want that confidence. He wants to earn that confidence. He's seen too many people be confident and it be ripped away from them. He has no faith in that. If everything was going to be okay, his dad would have returned by now. He wouldn't have been alone. He is the adult here. And he's the one who should be giving the confidence and comfort to Aang and Katara. And someone is taking that away from him. They should rely on each other and not fate. I think I broke you. (laughs) You broke me. (laughs) <laughs> I feel like I didn't even watch the episode this week right now. <laughs> it just all kind of came to me. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> I broke Colton. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's really interesting to see Sokka fight to be that source of confidence and comfort and that his skills and knowledge can protect Team Avatar. Fight for his role on the team. Yeah, he's the adult on the team. He's the man with the plan. Yeah. He's their Captain America. <laughs> yes. And if the plan's already set, like, what's his role anymore? Yeah. I broke you, I'm sorry. If he can't be the one with, if he can't be the one with the plan and the one to put things together and figure things out, then what good is he? Also, if there's already a plan set in motion without him involved, like... What is he supposed to do? What is, he has nothing left to offer. And he has nothing left to fight for. He wants to fight for something. He wants to fight to save the world, to protect his world. Do you think the fortune teller can truly see the future? Do you think Aunt Wu can truly see what's in the future? From everything you see in this episode, I will point out that she doesn't even see the visitors before they come in like she has katara enter separately from the other two i don't know i don't know if she truly can okay and i don't know if it matters Ooh. okay go on the the whole dialogue around her ability to read the future is you know it it serves the function of contrasting sokka's belief in science and and the world that, you know, the tangible world, the material world. It's the established faith in this town. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, that juxtaposition is used, I think, to teach our listener or our <laughs> listeners. So it used to because we're podcasting, but like teach the viewer um, that, you know, you need to think for yourself and, you know, engage with the world around you directly, not based on the word of someone else. The science is real. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about all too relevant. This, so much in this episode feels so relevant. <laughs> but it's also about her using her ability to not only serve as a leader of the town, but to look out for the people in the town. Mm. Permanent and transitory. Like she she owns up to telling Aang what he wanted to hear. Yeah. And there are times that people need that. Mm. And 
I think in the scene where she tells Aang what he needs to hear, like that scene is staged such that we can see and we can recognize that she sees that Aang just needs someone to tell him what he wants to hear. She reads his, you know, she does the whole reading. She tells him what she sees and the grand destiny. And then she learns that that's not what he was there for. He was there <laughs> for his personal life. He was there for someone to tell him that, you know, things are going to work out with the girl he has, a, he has a crush on. And she stops and she sees that. And, you know, I, I think it's very clear when she picks up that one fragment of bone and she's, you know, telling him what he wants to hear, like, if she can read the future, that's not it. That was not a part of it. That was that was her putting on a show for Aang to make him feel good. That was her playing therapist in a way, not playing fortune teller. I think especially with that reading, that is where I think part of her readings might be true in that she has this, the, the bone itself has a big reaction and like the flames go up and everything, this huge reaction. And it seems to almost startle her how big of a reaction this is and how big of a destiny and fate this is. And it builds up and she looks over at him and he goes, yeah, yeah, I know that. But like, what's going to happen with the girl? And it, throws her off and that's where you see that adjustment of her of like picking up the bone and going oh yeah yeah things will work out fine um and like you said telling him what he wants to hear and so that's what part of leads me like maybe she does have some kind of in touch in that she was able to pick up on those other things and have that big reading and reaction Yeah, but I wonder, is it, you know, because so much of her power is presented not as her seeing the future, but as her, you know, reading people's fortune off of more or less natural events and circumstances that she is not directly interfacing with. Like, Aang picks up the bone, Aang throws the bone in the fire, the bone in the fire has the big plume of smoke. She can understand it, but she's not necessarily, like... I'm not, maybe she lined them all with like, you know, nitrate, black powder, whatever. So she's feigning that surprise and it's all rigged. But, you know, she's, she's not, you know, waving her hands over a crystal ball. She's not conjuring anything directly. Like she is, and she is presenting herself as an outsider that, you know, all she is is an interpreter. And, you know, maybe she's more in tune and has a natural ability to read, but she puts on the show for Aang like it's nothing. I think. If anything, she's probably putting the show on for most of the readings that she does for the people of the town. And maybe part of what surprised her was that, oh, wow, it's actually working this time because Aang's the Avatar. Yeah, it's actually real. Yeah, because I didn't get that that reaction was something that was kind of like pre-planned because I feel like if it was something that we were supposed to think was like smarmy and everything like that was over the top, it would have been a different reaction, but I, I sensed, like, I read, like, actual fear on her, of actual concern of, you poor child, this is a huge fate of the world, big battle, like, she felt the weight of that for him in that react, in her reacting to the bone cracking, and, and him just, yeah, old hat, yeah, I know. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that is probably like 
important for us to acknowledge is, you know, we ask these questions and we go back and forth on a lot of this stuff. And I think it's fair to say that we maybe are watching this 15-year-old kids show cartoon a little closer than the average viewer of this show. And we're maybe, you know, putting some of our own stuff into it at times. But at the same time, it is a it is a cartoon and it is made for children. Like I'll, if the show wants you to think something, it is going to make it clear. And I, you know, I, I don't know if she can actually see the future, but I think if she were a through and through con artist, you know, in that moment, the smoke's going up. They're not showing us her looking surprised. They're showing us a knowing smirk. Yes, exactly. Exactly. They're showing Aang surprised and her giving a side eye to Aang. I think what's also really interesting is her reaction to she has the cloud reading at the beginning and she says the village will be safe from the volcano. And then when the clouds change and she interprets and she goes, oh, no, 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 it's going to be bad to see her genuinely react and change to that and change her preconceived notion that it was going to be all safe and now it's you know impending doom to see her react leads me to believe that she genuinely believes in what she does and that even if she is uh you know kind of just reading people at some point she does it out of good faith it's not anything that she's doing to manipulate other people for her own greed she doesn't charge for these fortune tellings is what we learn from katara so it's not something out of particular malice yeah i think i think if anything you know her default is in in instances where i don't have a clear sign one way or the other just tell them what they want to hear yeah and i think honestly i had less of a problem with aunt Wu doing what she was doing then the townspeople themselves just blind faith, blind faith. Yeah, we used to send somebody up to the volcano to check it out. But then Aunt Wu came and she could easily predict it without any of us having to go up the volcano. And I'm like, what? You had a system like you couldn't have done both. Like, no. OK. It does frustrate me because like I, I can't remove, you know, modern me from yeah watching this episode and yep you know under a modern lens i do think that it's fair to say that aunt wu kind of has a responsibility to recognize the way the townspeople are reacting to her readings and you know alter her behavior accordingly i think we can say that with in a modern context yeah i understand yeah. why that's not the case for the show if that were the case we wouldn't have an episode <laughs> That was also not the way that people thought in 2005 when this episode was made. Times change. We update our understanding. But sometimes it's fun to hold outdated ways of thinking to a modern standard. You know who I had the biggest problem with in this entire episode? Who? The guy who goes up to get a panda lily from the top of the volcano and doesn't even see the volcano is a about to blow. If the traveler is any indication, the guy who goes up the volcano does see that it's about to blow. He just doesn't care because it can't possibly blow because Aunt Wu said it wouldn't. He was the person I had the biggest problem with of like, 
dude, just like open your eyes. You couldn't have brought that information down because honestly, I think that information might have influenced Aunt Wu's cloud interpretation. But that's... If she is telling people what they want to hear. That's the point. Everyone in this village is like, their eyes are open. They just don't care. They just don't believe what they see sometimes. Oh my God. Because their their preconceived notions allow for the evidence to exist but not matter. I will say I have been quoting this episode since March of can your science explain why it rains? Yes. Yes. Yes, yes it can. Yes. Science matters. <laughs> I I have been qu- I have been uh, like internally screaming that for a while. Um, but this episode in Sokka is just so relatable. Yeah. So you went on your whole big discussion of Sokka and his role in the group, and I didn't see any of that this episode. <laughs> I'm really sad I didn't see any of it, because that's a lot better than what I saw. <laughs> What'd you see? I saw 20 minutes of Sokka giving the worst dating advice ever. (laughs) Yeah. Just be aloof. (laughs) Aloof. Master of aloofness. No, but I I have to say, like, I feel like Sokka is without a doubt early in the show, like, misogynist. Yes. It hasn't aged well. It doesn't look good. It's not okay. Um, This episode contributes to that but there is this one scene in the show where Sokka I think is for the most part non-toxic supportive and understanding in a way that we don't even see in most media today and it really struck me how well this one scene aged and it is when Sokka and Aang are climbing up the mountain together and Sokka does not want to be there but he's there and he's there for his friend. And it's this completely non-toxic platonic male bonding. And it's just so hopeful. Like, I just, I love this scene so much. It's so funny because this, their interaction together, Sokka and Aang, this episode reminded me so much of like what a middle school boy would think or like a freshman boy in high school would think is like cool. Like you got to be aloof. But his one friend super infatuated is like, but I want to get her something from the mall. Will you come to the mall with me? And he goes to the mall with him. And that is what I saw in like modern context. And it also felt a little like Mercutio to the Romeo. You know what I mean? And like, I feel like especially in, you know, the mid 2000s like we had here in a lot of shows where they would do this or a lot of movies where they would do this you would in that same scene like they would have a case of you know it's called like the not gays like we have to establish how you know mm-hmm. straight both of these two characters are because yeah otherwise you know they're bonding what could that mean oh no but like this scene <laughs> doesn't do that no like yeah they're both there because ang's on a quest to get this flower for a girl that he likes but the scene is allowed to breathe and be supportive and be mutually supportive and understanding with two teenage boys in it. And it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay to, you know, be in love and want to get a girl flowers. It's okay. 
And it's okay to support your friend and care about your friend and, like, do things with them. This show gives a lot of space and kindness to young boys, I feel. Yeah. It's okay to be a soft boy. You know, I think so, and I'm glad the show does, too. <laughs> I'm glad, no, but, like, I'm really glad the show, yeah. you know, lets that exist and, and makes space for that. I like that it shows that... A, a young boy might be girl crazy that he has this crush that he has this infatuation with this girl that he met, you know, when he came out of his iceberg and he's just been like falling in love. Like they've shown the little like seeds, like that he's been falling in love with her bit by bit. Yeah. It completely breaks down that whole, like, you know, young boys have to think that like girls are icky kind of thing. Yeah. Cause that's, so much of the media that like I consumed at a young age taught me that and it made no sense to me but like I felt like I had to act that way and and you know maintain that view as a child and man, I just I wish I watched this show when I was younger when I see this when I see this episode when I see that scene in particular What's important is that Katara is also not an object here she is a person it also shows that in this relationship of theirs that they've been that they've been building and this basis of friendship is that he sees how powerful she is he sees how she makes her decisions he sees all these pieces of her as a person and that's why he likes her he sees the all these different elements and it's for it's for everything about who she is as a person and not necessarily oh because she's the only girl that's hanging out with me you know, I mean, he meets, he has his, the second girl to have a crush on him, Mang. He had Coco when he was at Kiyoshi Island, was a little girl who had a crush on him. And it's not about, does this, like, the other person like me back. It is about this specific person and the qualities that they have in them. Not necessarily just because she's a girl, that he's supposed to like her. He's a girl, she's a girl I'm not related to. I'm going to like her. It it's she's a she's a human being. <laughs> she's a whole person. And that's really cool. Yeah. She's a whole person. And I got to say as as a girl who was growing up watching this to see that a guy can like for the qualities about who you are as a person and that you can have a bit of a temper and you can, you know, be strong and independent. Like that's really beautiful. So they've got the soft boy, but you've also got this the strong girl who, you know, can be liked for those qualities. This is such a shipping episode. It is. It is. We're not, we don't talk about ships too often, but this is such a shipping episode. And I, I, I think, I, I've been honest that I'm a Katang person. I don't, are, are, I don't believe you are, though. I, I, I mean... I've always had a weird uh, view of, like, shipping in general, because I don't, with, you know, I I have thoughts on a lot of different ships and a lot of different fandoms. Of course. But I feel like I hardly ever have, like, an OTP. Mm. And, and I think... That one true pairing for listeners who <laughs> who don't. <laughs> who, <laughs> for the listeners who aren't shippers. <laughs> for those listeners oh. who did not experience Tumblr in 2010, OTP, one true pairing. <laughs> Dreary five ever. <laughs> but no, I, I, I think 
I think my views on shipping, which are difficult to articulate, but I'm working on them, are kind of similar and related to like my views on canon in general of like, you know, it it's fun to think about and you know it's it's fun to read to to watch and 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 find things that support different ideas in the show like um you know that scene from a couple weeks ago where where Zuko and Katara have that really tense moment on the banks of the river there with the necklace like that is like mm, that is such good Zutara right so there so charged <laughs> so much tension and but like and that's great that's a, like a whole lot of fun for me to think about yeah. kind of thing and you know there are other moments in the show with other characters where it's like oh yeah like that's a nice moment between those characters that's a fun idea but like I don't I have found myself lately when watching things for the first time trying to have less personal stake in the specific e- events of the plot that happen and that are developed and just take far more enjoyment out of appreciation of how things are developed and happen because you know if I if I want a story to be different, I can just imagine it to be different in my head sort of thing. I I don't know. I've I've kind of struggled a lot with the way I've interacted with, you know, different fandoms talking about things, you know, on Twitter or Tumblr or wherever, just because I feel like so much of conversation about media or, you know, alternate takes or events or AUs or, you know, fanon versus canon boils down to like well that's not canon so it doesn't matter sort of thing and like that's not true at all because these like at the end of the day these stories are all made up yeah and basically saying whether or not something is canon is saying that the story that someone else made up is more important than the story that you made up Mm -hmm. and i don't think i like i don't agree with that because you know Similar to the idea that books belong to their readers, stories belong to the people who experience them. Mm-hmm. And who interpret them. And who interpret them and who share them and who, you know, interact with them in some form. So, I don't know. Like, it's, I feel like that's kind of anticlimactic. And I feel like I've said a lot <laughs> without, but I've also said nothing. And, you know, I, I, I ship Katang. I appreciate Katang moments for what they are. <laughs> I enjoy watching that, you know, watching the journey over the course of the show. You know, we are, we watch out, we know they end up together. But, you know, and I like seeing how that grows and develops. But like I, you know, I enjoy considering other possible outcomes of other interactions in the show. Like that's, that's a thing. And I would say that, you know, they, they all occupy different facets of my own mind and, and my own takeaway from the show. Is that it? I feel like I didn't answer your question. No. But I got a good sense of what of what where you're coming from. Yeah, it's it's tough because I feel like I am still in like the early stages of understanding my own thoughts here. Gotcha. And so I'm I'm not really good at explaining them and maybe I'm not even good at understanding them. Like, uh, like, uh, you know it when you see it. Yeah, and I just, I just want to talk about it more. Yeah. <laughs> I need to talk about my own thoughts more so that I can figure out what it is that I actually think and feel. <laughs> You're going to have a fun time editing yourself saying all those things and, like, listening oh, to it during the edit because you're going to yeah. go, you're going to go, 
No, maybe this is what I was trying to say. No, maybe that is what I was trying to say. That's, yeah, that's going to be fun for me in the future. I'm sorry, <laughs> I had to ask me. it, though, just for transparency, because I know I am a Katang person. As much as I have, I have watched the show, I, I, you know, I appreciate Zutara for the, for what it brings um, to the fandom, to the world. Uh, I know the fun thing in the fandom right now is, Sokka and Zuko, which is really funny. Um, I, 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 because just coming from the very early beginnings of the fandom, and that is where we've landed now. And I'm like, that's actually pretty cool. Uh, it's, it's exciting to see how the fandom has evolved in, in this span of time. Uh, but, I, I think I have similar feelings to you on, uh, on that is that you could appreciate the different avenues that could have been, might've been. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think it's fun for me learning about, you know, different things that people really want to see or wanted to see or like to read into because it just, you know, it adds to the, the, the things that the list of things that I have to look for, in you know reading into different interpretations of the show and i really really enjoy that how you know a single piece of media can be viewed in so many different ways i do have another wholesome scene i want to talk about that's like really good and holds up under a modern lens on this show tell me about this wholesome scene oh it's the scene with ang and mang at the end, when they like, when she's like, "You don't like me like I like you, do you?" It was just so middle school dance. It was, it, but I like, felt such middle school feelings. <laughs> I really, really, really cannot express how much I love that the show does not vilify either of these characters. Yeah, and it's just like we're not on the same level. It sucks for both of us. We can understand each other, and you know. Getting this out there is good for us both, but it just sucks. Open, honest, but they can still care about each other as human beings because she still gives him the cloud interpretation book. She's like, don't you need this? And he's like, oh, yeah, I do. How do you know? She's like, I've kind of been stalking you. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, she owns up and, and she expresses her feelings to him and, you know, understands that he doesn't share in those feelings yeah he accepts that and he's just like yeah i i get it and she also supports him and she she's like she's like she's really pretty like you know the water tribe girl that you like and he's like he's like yeah and he's they have this connection and i love this just open and honesty it's you know it's that childlike thing to it that it's just so beautiful and clear communication and i see both of them but you know if they keep on that clear and open communication wherever their love life goes it's gonna be great like they're they're gonna find someone to care about them and i love how they're both in a lot of pain and they communicate that pain to each other and neither of them does anything to invalidate the pain of the other or to try to turn it into some weird competition about who's in more pain yeah or who has it word like they're both just like yeah this yeah like it's so validating 
And they're not mean to each other. It's it's not you led me on. It's not anything. And it's it's just so much empathy and understanding and compassion and validation. And like this, I feel like this scene and the scene with Saka on the volcano, like these two scenes for me are so much of what make this show so good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, as someone who watched this as as a kid, like growing up with this show, it, these are moments that this is this is a show that I say is in my fundamental Kelly's indefinite rewatch <laughs> rewatch list. This is one of the ones that's in it, and I think those moments are very very important. I I didn't. I mean, like I've, I've said, I didn't grow up with this show, but like I think I would have done a better job at being a human a better human a lot more and a lot earlier in my life than I did if I had grown up with this show. It has some really good life lessons. It has such good life lessons. (laughs) And sometimes it is just saying, walking up to the kid and going, you don't like me the way that I do, right? Okay. All right, great. Let's work on this group project then. I definitely like... (laughs) So watching this scene, I was like, I feel like there were a couple times in college where Kelly was like, you need to watch this show just so that I could watch this one scene in particular. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that, that definitely happened. <laughs> hey, I, I have some great, clear, open communication skills. I'm just saying. <laughs> I got better. You did, you did, and you'll only get better because you watched this show. (laughs) One can only hope. (laughs) We don't have a big battle at the end this week. We don't? I mean, it's not a battle. I mean, he battles a volcano, which is the second Avatar to battle a volcano, but this time the Avatar wins. With fewer elements. (laughs) <laughs> yes maybe there's elegance in the simplicity of only two wow that kid is one powerful bender <laughs> yeah I, I thought so the camera angles on that on the big battle at the end of ang battling the large flow of lava and cooling it but then that shot that comes from below to zoom in on Katara's face as she realizes, as she looks on and watches Aang standing before this huge wall of now cooled, um, cool, cooled lava, and it's called rock. It's yeah, rock. Uh, yeah, I, I realized that as I was trying to say it, I was like, "There's another word for this, rock." Anyways, uh, the expression and how it zooms in on her is so. Cool, because I feel like with, especially with animated shows, you get some of these more like static shots, but there were so much motion in the camera in this episode as opposed to other episodes and different angles. And it very much builds that, um, it creates that sense of wow and destiny as it, as it comes in on the realization and the music swells and you see Katara seeing something bigger than what she's seeing in front of her. Like her eyes are opened to what is in front of her. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned the, the camera movements. Cause you know, that's very much like 
you expect in animation the the shots to basically be you know still static frames because that's a lot easier to draw you have like you don't have yes. to worry about the perspective of lenses especially in like hand drawn you know 2D animation 3D is a little different cuz you can you know, like simulate a camera in a computer in the virtual environment and you know move it around and stuff um as you have you know a three dimensional model like you you are working with a camera just it's virtual um but yeah i think you know those those little movements not only up the ante in those moments but they just they do a lot of legwork i think in making the world seem like a real place yes because now it's not just you know images on a screen and it's all flat like it adds a level of dimensionality because we have a we seem to have a physical camera physically moving in physical space it takes you with it yeah so when you see the camera swing and the hear the music swell you are brought along for that ride for that especially it's while it's going up to look at Katara's face, you're moving up and Katara is seeing something that, you know, Aang, this person that she hangs out with all the time, this small kid, she's seeing him higher up and in a bigger, through a bigger lens, but it's narrowing in on her and moving upward. Everything is moving forward. It's almost as if in the mid-season break, they got a bigger budget. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) As if Nickelodeon said, uh, yeah, this seems like it's working. (laughs) Take a bit more money. (laughs) A detail that I noticed and I really fell in love with was everything that comes into contact with the lava lights on fire as it melts. Everything melts from the heat, but also lights on fire before it starts to melt and it's like they they did their homework on on the accuracy like if you if you go frame by frame the flower that falls into the caldera of the volcano never even reaches the bottom it never lands in in the lava pool because it combusts before it gets there from the extreme heat <laughs> that's so cool yeah i think the hold up for me was that I don't consider the fight against the volcano to be a battle at the end because I equate most of our battles at the end with a fight against our villain. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that when we're fighting the volcano, we're fighting our villain. Mm. Which makes me want to ask you now, who do you think the villain is this week? The villain. villain. I... I don't think it's Aunt Wu. I I don't know what it is, but I didn't take her as a villain. Honestly, I think the townspeople are their own villains. I think they're the villains in their own story. <laughs> I agree. Their own ign- like their willful ignorance is their villain. <laughs> I just I crazy ex girlfriend. I'm the villain in my own story. Like that's what I'm hearing. Yeah, I'm seeing this village. I just... And so, like, by the time we get to fighting the volcano, like, that's not our battle at the end, because our battle at the end is, in fact, the cloud-bending scene. Yes, that's what I was going to ask. Would you consider the cloud-bending the battle at the end? I I think I would. Mm -hmm. If we have a battle at the end this week, it is the cloud-bending scene. Which, Mm. like, cloud-bending. 
It's cool. It's really cool. Are you water bending? Are you air bending? You're kind of doing both. They do it together. I feel like early on you asked me about cloud bending when we were talking about different types of like in- like the interchange of bending. I think that was like a that ended up being like a post show conversation. Yeah, it was a post show when we were talking about lava bending and we were trying to expand on things. Yeah, cloud bending. Yeah, I I like that. It also brings Katara and Aang together to work together to create something. Big giant skull. Big giant skull. I love it. I like how the bad omen. Like everything all of the omens in the in the episode are so like a little out there, but like the death omen is just the dark mark. Yeah, it's just it's that. big giant cloud skull. Yeah, it could have been the fluffy bunny, but that that means other terrible things. <laughs> oh yeah, the bunny's not. But yeah, they mentioned the that one looks like a fluffy bunny. We better hope it's not a fluffy bunny. <laughs> bunnies aren't so cute. <laughs> Maybe it was bunnies. <laughs> I just love this episode. <laughs> Mang at the end, where she's just like, "Bye, bye." Bluesy. <laughs> I knew you would love that moment. <laughs> the first time I watched it, I was like, that's just so Kelly. And then watching <laughs> it again this week, I was like, still Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because as much as she can, as much as, as much as man can empathize with Aang about liking someone that, you know, doesn't have interest in you. Doesn't mean she has to like Katara. Exactly. She can be like, oh, yeah, she's pretty. Oh, yeah. Bluesy. Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 14. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at The Pie Show or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. It could be witches, some evil witches, which is ridiculous. Can witches <laughs> be persecuted, wicked, good, and love the earth and women power? And I'll be over there. <laughs> that, that stuck in my head since you started doing bunnies. <laughs> bunnies! <laughs> that is the one thing Avatar The Last Airbender does not have, which is a musical episode. Oh, could you imagine? I think the closest we get to a musical episode is Secret Tunnel. <laughs> Secret tunnel. I thought you were going to say, or not Ember Island. Um, yeah, Ember Island Players. No, there's no music in that. I mean, there's no music, but it's theater. It's theater. And, like, it's aggressively theater. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the closest we get is the Secret Tunnel episode, because they have uh, the traveling singing nomads, you know, narrating what's going on. Yeah. and like I think that's the closest we get to Singing what's going episode. on, yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll accept that as our musical episode, as our obligatory musical episode. Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about the Avatar musical? You were telling me about this. There's Is... a guy writing an Avatar musical. Amazing. I'll I'll see if I can find a link to. I think he's mostly sharing updates on TikTok, and it's like every single song slaps, and they're all good, and it seems like. It's going to be a really long show because he's doing the whole thing. He's doing the whole show in a single musical. Oh, I love that. 
Oh, yeah. I saw a weird TikTok today for a musical version of Ratatouille. Yes, I saw that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it was just so... I loved it. It was funny. It was so funny. Oh, my God. It was so awkward. It's funny because I'm thinking about this Avatar musical concept that you're talking about. And it makes me think of, like, how Percy Jackson didn't do too great, you know? They tried to take Percy Jackson and turn turn it into a musical. Okay, but, like, you would totally buy, like, Cursed Child-style 3-day tickets. Yeah. To, like, 5 hours each day, the Avatar musical. Oh, yeah. Especially because I personally was not on the Cursed Child and like yeah me I neither. never wanted yeah. I never wanted to see it I wanted nothing to do with it and that was before all the JK stuff like I wanted nothing to do with that entire thing I have an academic interest in seeing it simply because like I work in theater and a lot of my colleagues have said that I would like I would like it specifically for a lot of the tech elements in the show because that's like what I do professionally so I would have an appreciation for it yeah but outside of that, I have no interest. No, none. 